Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator, and I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. You hear me okay? Yes, I am speaking. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's right, exactly. Thank you. Ah. Oh, that he was hooked. No, sir. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is Joe St. Pierre. It's Bob, Bob Wyatt, Thank you very much. Nice to see Ron you. Ron Mars. Ron, thank you. Appreciate the time. All right, that was your theme song for this episode. Hello, and welcome to The Marvelous, the Marvel Universe podcast. I am your host, John Sherburn, and I get it. Yes, before you say anything, I know I'm not your host. Your hosts are Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. But before you get your whole head in a twist, uh, it's me, John Sherburn, audio engineer. You may have heard me if you've listened to like the three episodes that I'm in. Um, if not, you've heard me and my edits, because that's a thing all the time. But today... They let me out of the basement. They let me have my own intro. They let me speak and be heard by the people. So for the next five minutes or so, you're going to hear me talking. But don't worry. After that, it's going to be back to Peter and Eddie. And they're going to give you all the good stuff. But I'm doing the intro. I'm doing the outro. I'm doing the mid-tros. In between the interviews that Peter and Eddie got at the Hudson Valley Comic Con. So before we get into that rigmarole i'm gonna show y'all how to get a hold of us on them our social medias if you want to go on to twitter facebook or instagram you can find the marvelous at the marvelous obviously if you want to find peter melnick you can find him on twitter at peter melnick you can find him on instagram at peter melnick you can find him on facebook at peter melnick podcaster little switch up there at the end if you want to find eddie you got one shot you go into his instagram at eddie 9193 you can like you can comment, you can follow, you can slide into those DMs. Um, so that's how you get a hold of them. If you want to get a hold of me, Instagram at John underscore Sherburn, Facebook at John Sherburn. No H in John, by the way. Nuh-uh, J-O-N. I don't want to hear it. Um, you can also find us at on our email bag. You can go onto our email bag and drop us a line in there with your questions, comments, concerns, strongly worded letters. You can uh, craft a, a nice poem or maybe a short a sonnet, perhaps. Um, write a, a teleplay and send it in. You can make us a little like crochet blanket. You can do little quilt squares, like one at a time, and email them to us, and uh, we'll make them into one big digital quilt. Uh, there's just a lot of just contact us. You know, we're bored. We don't have much to do. We don't work or go to school or play or do anything really. It's just we sit and we record and we wait for you guys to come. So please do, um, because we're needy people. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can support us. By going on to wolverinepodcast.com and using the promo code at checkout. Marvelous. And when you do that, you get a free month of Stitcher Premium as well as a ton of content like the Smodcast archives, the Earwolf archives, the Weird Al Yankovic archives, and the first season of Wolverine, The Long Night, and the second season, Wolverine, The Lost Trail. And that, my friends, is Marvel's first foray into the serial drama realm of the entertainment industry so if you like podcasts if you like canadians with metal skeletons 
you, you go listen to that. You listen to that podcast because it's going to give you exactly what you want. Uh, after that, you can use the promo code at Checkout Marvelous. Obviously, like I said, to get that first month of Stitcher free. And after that, it's only four ninety nine a month. That's not that expensive. That is less than a burrito at Chipotle. So uh, if you're getting burritos, you better be getting Stitcher as well. I'm just saying. If you want to find us on the show, you can listen to us absolutely anywhere podcasts are found. And I mean anywhere. We got Podbean. We got Stitcher. We got Google Podcasts. We got Spotify. We got iTunes. Rate, review, subscribe. We got uh, SoundCloud. Um, some people say if you go really deep into the forest late at night and listen, you might be able to hear the podcast in the woods. Um, if you say Eddie Wilson, Eddie Wilson, Eddie Wilson three times in the bathroom mirror at night, he comes to your sleepover party and uh, scares everybody. Um, you can listen to us absolutely anywhere um, as long as there's sound. There's there's a room in, I think, Minnesota that's the quietest room in the world. There's no sound. You probably can't listen to us there. But anywhere else is fair game, I promise. So without further ado, that was pretty much all of that dumb stuff we have to get through. And now it's time for us to get into the meat of it. So I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about what we're talking about today. So in case you guys missed it, Peter and Eddie went on the weekend of May 11th and May 12th to the Hudson Valley Comic Con. Hudson Valley Comic Con takes place in Poughkeepsie, New York. Shout out to all those downstate, upstate New Yorkers. Um, and it featured guests like Tom Paine of The Walking Dead and Gilbert Gottfried of all voice acting. I know that you've heard his voice. You probably have heard his name. Uh, and his, and fe- it featured creators such as Wendy Peeney and Ron Mars and Sean Lewis and uh, a bunch of other good guys, too. Um, so when Peter and I were there, they got to get a bunch of interviews from really interesting comic creators such as Joe St. Pierre, Bob Wycheck, Ron Mars, really cool stuff. So in a minute here, you're going to listen to some of those interviews. Um, so before we get into that, I want to just a little preface, a little preface on the first interview. Um, we got to speak to Bob Wycheck, who is a really interesting creator. Um, he worked, uh, he's been working for decades in the industry, starting uh, with Superman for DC and then eventually running a bunch of different, he's, he's been, he's ran a bunch of different comics. He's, he's inked for Star Wars, Uncanny X-Men, Sensational She-Hulk, X-Factor, Man-Thing, and The Brave and the Bold, and so much more. So if you like inking, if you like artists, then you go, you go, you, he's a good one. He's a good one. Um, he worked with uh, Neil Adams and the Krusty Bunkers, which was a group of artists that worked with Neil in the 70s. Um, there were a bunch of really talented inkers and artists that went on to make names for themselves. Um, but this was a, a, a big hodgepodge of them that worked together for Continuity Comics in the 70s under Neil Adams and other people too. Um, so it was, a, it was where I got to start, and he's since then created quite the career. He's quite an interesting fellow, and I think you guys are going to like the interview. Without further ado, I won't chew your ear off any longer. This is Peter and Eddie. Welcome back. It's Hudson Valley Comic Con 2019. On The Marvelous, we want to welcome a man who's been with us in Marvel Comics for many, many years. Maybe we'll get a little backstory history of that. that not it's, that many. But not no, that I'm, many? I'm okay. just kidding. I'm it's just kidding. Bob. Bob Wyatchek. Thank you very much. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, sir. We've seen you at several shows, actually, whether it's here, um, East Coast, New York, uh, other, one, other ones in the greater Hudson Valley. Mm-hmm. Thank you for all your work, first of all. I have to say that first and foremost. I've seen your name in so many titles. 
over so many years. When when did it uh, start for you, actually? What year was no, it? No, I really appreciate that. I, yeah, I, always, I, I always appreciate the, all the fans and people that come up to me at conventions and say, I really, you know, uh, love your work. And this is, they'll show me the comic that really, you know, influenced them. And I'll say, my God, I'm old. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're right. No, but, uh, yeah, no, I actually, I started in the summer of 74. 74, With uh, wow. Neil Adams and Dick Giordano. Uh, okay. At their studio called Continuity Associates, which I've later on, which later on became Continuity Comics when Dick left and went to work for DC, and Neil started his own comic book company. But that's another story, of yeah, course. Okay. But um, what title was that that you started with, or, or sorry, what title were you first associated oh, with yes. being credited? Yeah. So for? when I um, the first thing I actually did when I went up to the studio at Continuity was I was doing backgrounds, and okay. I called and they would they. The background people up there were called the Krusty Bunkers. <laughs> what, what would happen is on a job that was being inked, Neil Adams, uh, Dick Giordano, and a few other artists that were up there uh, would ink the main figures. And we, the uh, minions here what, yeah. back then, we would ink all the backgrounds, trees, uh, cars, mountains, whatever, you know, special effects in space. So the first real book I, I, I touched as far as professional was Doctor Strange number 4 over Steve over, uh, excuse me, over Frank Brunner. Steve Englehart wrote the book at the okay. time. And I was very nervous, nervous as heck. You sure. Know, you're working over this, you know, because I was familiar with uh, Frank Brunner's work, and I was reading some of his, uh, you know, his Doctor Strange's before that, and I said, here I am working on it, you know. But uh, it, it was an experience. I have to say, Neil, um, Neil was very, uh, both Neil and Dick were very good. Neil was the kind of gentleman who would sh tell you, and others, if you did some, didn't do something good, he'd tell you. And he, uh, what he would do is he would just uh, tell you, well, I did this cape once. And he said, well, look, that, that, it's horrible, Bob. Why don't you look at Jack Kirby, the way he does Thor's cape? And he was right. He was right. But Dick Giordano would be the kind of person that would come up and, sh and show you how to do yeah, how to do it right. So it, it was a very good mixture. It was a very good balance. Yeah, and I guess there's, other, there's different ways of method of teaching because I, I put this under the category of constructive criticism. Yes. We weren't trying to knock you down and say you, no, you, you no, suck no. or whatever. No, and Neil, if Neil's, Neil would tell you your work sucks, but... He would tell in a way that, you know, uh, he's not doing it to put you down. He's doing no. it to, to make you go to get better. He's really he's using the rough approach to make to If you have the fortitude to really want to do this work, you'll you'll take everything he says to uh, not to heart, but to say hey, he's criticizing you and do better. I actually had Neil Adams look through my graphic design portfolio. Yeah. And I didn't realize it was the equivalent of like a real professional grade, you know, portfolio look. Yes. And... I would like interrupt him during certain parts because I'm like, I thought, oh, we're just having a golly gee great time looking through Peter's shit. And, yeah. you know, so we're looking <laughs> through the stuff, right? And there was one moment where he was like giving me all these criticisms mm -hmm. and I didn't take them to heart, which I was really happy about. Although afterwards I'm like super deflated. I'm like, oh, oh man. Yeah. But I took everything he told me to do with the exception of one uh, critique. He told me to remove a t-shirt I had designed for a professional wrestler. That professional wrestler would go on to become WWE champion. That is never leaving my portfolio oh, ever. Oh, no. Neil, yeah. I love yeah. you, Neil. You're one of my heroes. That ain't leaving. Ever. Right, right. Well, actually, the way, the way I got up there uh, was um, I knew, I knew, I had, I had been going to conventions for a number of years since 1967, and I was 14 years old back then. And, you know, I didn't even know they had conventions for these things until yeah. a friend of mine came over one day in my apartment and said, hey, you know, they have conventions. And, you know, he showed me a flyer. So we went and went down to the convention. And at that, at that convention, the first professional I met was Jim Steranko. Then Bill Everett was there. What kind of suit did Steranko have on? He had a good suit. He always has a good suit Always, on. even from those days. Yes, even from wow. those days. And he had a nice-looking woman with him. I remember oh, distinctly okay. that. Have you noticed, Steve, I mean, uh, Jim Steranko dresses like he's Wonder Man when he's wearing that suit? Yeah. 
You know, remember Wonder Man's suit that oh, he would wear yeah, in the 1980s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I, I can see that. All he right. kind of, I think he is Wonder Man. Could be. That's Simon Williams. He's just running around, you know, being a yeah, superhero. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And comics, and he's an escape artist, and a rock star. Blazing right. red eyes. Yes. Man, yeah. Sure. <laughs> exactly. When I annoy Jim when I see him at conventions, oh, yes, he has blazing no. red eyes. <laughs> yeah, so I get that. Okay. Um, Bob, yeah, yeah, go uh, ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I guess depending on the job, the assignment you get, uh, where you'll be featured credits-wise, or in some cases, of course, if you did do a cover, your name is on there. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just, I guess, a filling in, an inking kind of thing is to where you'll just have your name on the inside versus yes. being on the out because somebody right. else, I guess, did the cover. So, of course, your name wouldn't be there. Well, well a lot um, of times that I would do the cover, I wouldn't have anything to do with the inside. You know, that, yeah, that, that right. happened quite a bit. Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah, actually, just to finish what I was going to say, I'll, I'll be very quick what yep. I was just saying before. So I'd been going to, conve yeah. going to conventions for many years. And then... Um, and I would meet all these 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 professionals like later who later become became really big, you know, top artists like Bernie Wrightson, Mike Kaluta, and num a number of other people. Mm -hmm. And I got to be friends with Kaluta when he was a fan artist, you know, doing some things for a graphic showcase, mm -hmm. which was a fan magazine back then. And um, he, uh, you know, he we became friends. And uh, one time I went over, I was I had graduated uh, high school, and putting and I just uh, after I graduated graduated high school, I went to the school of visual arts for three years. So I was putting my portfolio together and. I went up to see his to see him at his studio. He was just finishing a shadow cover, and he was looking at my stuff. He says, "Yeah, let me listen. I got to bring this shadow cover over to DC. To DC, you want to come with me?" I said, "Sure." So I went up there and uh, showed my stuff. They weren't interested, in, you know, they didn't say my stuff was good or bad. They just weren't interested. Okay. So that's all right. So Kaluta said, "I got an idea. Come with me." So that's when he got me up to see Neil Adams, wow, and, and Dick Giordano. So Neil looked at my stuff, and he says, "Your penciling's pretty bad, Bob, but something in your inking I kind of like." And so he looked at my, what I was doing. He says, T tell you what, do this one, this one, and this one over. Come back in about a week or two and show them to, show them to me again. See, and I, he showed me what was wrong. He, showed, he pointed out the things I could okay. improve on. So I did it. He says, much better. Still need improvement here and there, but yeah, much better. Would you like to work up here? Bam. So, so there That's you go. Awesome. So yeah, it's a persistence. It's always persistence yes. and getting better and listening to what the person's saying. So mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I wanted to make no, sure I finished that. No, not at all. That. That's fine. I That's, wander like that. That's relatable with what we do as podcasters because Eddie comes from the world of radio. And Eddie, one more time, let's just so we can sneak this little plug ski in there. How can we listen to you on the radio, Eddie? Well, we have, we, yes, we have the Radio Bold app. We are 95.9 VOSFM out of Sullivan County in upstate New York. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9. And it's available for all iOS and Android devices. But anyway, I That's digress. Right. No, you guys have to do that. Yeah. That's true. Uh, well, he says so, so. But the thing is, he'll tell me things that, you know, what we should do to improve the show, to maybe make it better and palatable for the listening audience. And I'll hear what he says, and I'm like, okay, we do need to do this. We need to do this, this, this. And I'll also, you know, give some ideas as well, and we both do that as well. Mm -hmm. so, so on that same note, well, yes, we, he's Peter is talking about me and critiquing himself, but and not, having, not having any podcast background at all and not really listening to maybe one or two besides this one, I'm lost with the world of podcasting. Right. So it's, it's a mutual uh, learning process, I think. Knowing having having me, two different generations you. input into this thing and supposedly getting a good response to it. Oh, Eddie, right. you stepped over my ABBA reference. I did? You did. I said <laughs> knowing, knowing me, knowing, knowing you. you. ABBA. Uh -huh. Very good. No, that's aha. Uh -huh. That's You have a good camaraderie between each other. I, I can guess. tell that, yes. It seems you know, actually, that you know, interesting. I'll speak to people over the phone, you know, putting on my business, my business type voice like this. You see, I would make it a little bit different. Yes. And people say, are you into radio, Mr. Wyjack? I said, no, I don't do it. Do radio? What makes you think that? Because you know, I'm changing my voice a little bit. Yes. Like, and no, no, you should be in radio. I said, well, 
If you know of a job, let me know. You know. <laughs> I'm sure there might be a job, but don't expect there to be much compensation uh, for exactly. it. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm living yeah. proof. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. All right, so different covers, different titles. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, all through throughout uh, my growing up, the comics, 70s, 80s, mostly my collecting big phase and so on. And I'm mostly, since I knew it as being Marvel. Yeah. Which I'm going to guess, you, you're going to tell me otherwise, if Marvel's been the most of your work yes, that you've done. Been. Okay. Even though I started um, at DC, I, I oh, most yeah. of my the work distinguished has been at I, I've said it before. My very first comic books were Unknown Soldier and Weird War Tales. Ah. And then I found Marvel superheroes featuring the Incredible Hulk number 61. And Ten Rings hath the Mandarin. I really and do then love I was that into we Marvel. all know his origin story. It's even on the card, by the way. That uh, yes, oh, okay. it is, actually. It's on the card. So any, it's hard to choose, I suppose, but anything that you've enjoyed the most... Working on, or maybe didn't, or maybe in another vein, didn't expect something to take off like it did, or hope, or maybe something that you did like this is going to be gangbusters, but it didn't go anywhere. However, you want to field that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's an interesting question because I, I find that um, uh, in, in different in different ways, like you know, I've been uh, as I've gone on through the business, I've had three, and if if this is not answering your question, please tell me. But I think it is. I've had three turning points in my in my career. Okay. And uh, one was like, you know, I was inking, uh, I was inking, my inking was, was okay. I look back on it now. Some of it's okay, some of it's a bit rough. I go, uh, you know, like you look at your, everybody looks at their old work. You know, it's oh, yeah. the same thing. And it's good. You see where you improve. That's the good thing mm-hmm. about looking at your old work. You see, oh, why did I do that? And you realize, because you, you didn't know. Now you know. Yes. So um, I have to say, the first time when I, I, I really changed quite a bit from, from, a, from being a, uh, uh, an inker using more brush than pen was I worked with Paul Smith on the X-Men. That was X-Men number 165. Okay. And he wanted a certain look to the book, which he called at the time, which he denies, but I'm, I, I swear to you that's just exactly what he said to me. He called it Children of the Atom. He wanted a very clean, very cold look to the book, to the characters. So mm. it's not too much rendering, just a few little bits of rendering here and there, but he wanted a, different, he wanted a, a special look to it rather than just what it had been before. And uh, you know, everybody before that had known, had known uh, Cockrum in the beginning, and then later on with John Byrne and Terry Austin and everything like that. So he wanted a definitive look. So I worked with him. I worked very close with him because he didn't live too far from me. Mm-hmm. And we worked very close. He liked what I was doing. And in some cases, he showed me where I needed improvement there, here and there. And I would work on that. So yeah, that was a very interesting experience because I learned quite a bit from him and I learned how to get to pen and made my brushwork a little bit more solid than it had been in the past. Gotcha. So the next one, uh, if, you, if you want to interrupt me, by the mean, by, by yeah, all no, means, Yeah, no, I'm thinking me. of something else. But no, no, yeah. no, I'm thinking of something to go along with that. Okay. But... No, please continue. Yeah, so the other one was, um, another, the second one, uh, turning point, was working with Walter Simonson. Mm. Now, he had a, he had a definitive uh, look, as, as he's always had with his, with his pen work, mm-hmm. and he has a certain energy that I've always wanted, to ca- that I always wanted to capture and not lose. I had originally inked him on an issue of Star Wars number 16, the first time I inked him, and this is back in my old days. Yeah, I was inking a lot different. Yeah. But later on, when I started inking him again, uh, it, was, it was on a, one issue of Thor to help him out. I started looking at some of the, uh, really studying his inking. And then I started studying people that influenced him, such as Sergio Topi, an Italian artist, hmm. which had, had that kind of rendering that he's, he's going for. And, uh, and also the gentleman who, um, who, who penciled and inked the uh, Modesty Blaze uh, uh, strip. I can't think of the name. I know the uh, writer was Peter O'Donnell. Okay. Uh, Jim Haldaway. You see, there you go. I remember. All right, Jim Haldaway penciling. And, he had, and so I was started, look, started looking. I always liked his stuff, but I was really not studying it, so I was studying his stuff. So I was really trying to bring out, you know, bring my own ideas to Walter's work, but really bring out what he had on his pencils and not lose the energy, not lose that kind of like 
uh, solidity that he had it, that he had to his work and the rendering, trying to capture his rendering. So again, there's there's another um, uh, way turning of looking. point. Yeah, yeah right. Now right. the third one was uh, Steve Rude. Now Ooh, Steve the is a rude dude. Yeah, I Steve, love Steve is a very very um, um, intense person to work to work with, but I can't have any. Uh, I don't have any. Uh, complaints about him because he wanted he wanted his work to look at a certain way. So I would be studying not just again I would be studying the way he inked himself, but he told me to look at John Romita Senior. Oh, so I I always loved John's work and I but I never studied it definitively. So I started really looking at his studying John's work and as he inked not just his own stuff but he, he inked Gil Kane and a lot of other uh, pencilers that John has inked down the, down through the years himself. Besides him besides his own wonderfully wonderfully drawn pencils. And so I started looking at his stuff, and then I, and then I realized I knew that John, John's main influence was Milton Kniff. So I went hmm. back even farther. I went started looking at Kniff's work and trying to get that kind of brushwork, that spontaneous brushwork he got in his work. So here and and then I started working. When I started working with Rude, love what I had done. He would he would he would again he would look at something and say this could have used a little thicker line here, Bob. You know, and he would thicken it up a little bit. You know, but little things like that. It didn't really bother me because again I'm learning. Yes, even, all the way. You never stop learning. That is Even correct. no matter how big you are and no matter how long you've been in this business, if you stop learning, then you become stagnant like a, like a pond. Have, it's not like a river. Yep. How much do you know of Star Trek? Star Trek? Yes. Pretty much, yeah. It's, when you're an artist, you kind of tend to be like a Borg. Think about it. You're always assimilating, learning new things, yes. and you end up taking new things, absorbing new techniques, and you utilize that in your own work. Yes. Like myself, again, going back over to the podcasting thing, I have my influences. I have my recurring phrases I might say or inflections that I've borrowed from other people and then I use it in my own thing much like an artist you know will borrow techniques and use that in their own style right and it's it's an important right. thing to do it's really valuable to do oh yeah I mean without a doubt you, know, you, ha you ha I, ca I can't say any more to what you just said that's exactly how I felt I mean, I, I, was, I was also thinking at the same time, even in my beginning days, I want to learn from the penciler. I just don't want to ink the penciler and just not, not, not take any consideration to what the penciler's put down because it's teaching me. Like a lot of, a lot of right. some inkers, and, and I, I, I'm not going to name names, obviously, but they'll want to change stuff. They'll want to, you know, warp, not warp it, but kind of like put some kind of like look to it where it's more them than it is what the penciler is. Now, that's okay if it's, if it's coming out naturally, like you said the, many years ago when the uh, Filipino artists would ink other people. It kind of looked like their work. Hmm. But that's the reason they were put on a lot of those pencilers, because in a lot of cases, that's what the editor or whoever it was wanted it to look. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that's 100% the way it would happen, but right. so that, that, that was part of it. So they knew what they were going to get. I mean, these guys were like you know, phenomenal draftsmen. So, you know, <laughs> you can't complain about the work, but you can understand, you know, what in some cases why they changed it. Going back to Steve, if I remember that, that, if I got the right person, and I don't mean this in a bad way, I would think that he, uh, he would look down on about anybody else he interacted with because he's a very tall human being, if I'm not mistaken. Steve, yeah, Steve Rude, yes, he's very, very tall. Yeah. I, have to, I have to talk to him like this. Well, of course, this is, this yeah. is, this is, not a, this is an audio uh, medium here, not right. visually. I'm looking up now, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, so yeah, you look up, and yeah, he's a very tall guy. Yeah, oh yeah. I guess I didn't realize the the scope of his work until um, partially now, partially when I had him sign. I think it was a Captain America miniseries, limited series, uh, a while back. It might have been an East Coast at another con. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I wanted to ask too, before I totally forgot, was has inking been your primary task, job, or what you would have preferred to do, given the choice of other jobs? 
in well, I, I started because that was that's what you know at the time you know Neil started because I, I wanted to break into the business and I knew what right. ink, I knew basically what inking was all what, I thought I knew what inking was all about but I didn't because I found out exactly what it was all about but I knew I had a very surfacey level because of look reading comics and seeing the different inkers on Jack Kirby you know from Vince Coletta on Thor to Joe Sinnott on the Fantastic Four Frank Giacoli on Captain America you knew it was Jack's work but there was something different about it mm. in fact I remember seeing Jack's work back in the old uh, Atlas days of Marvel before Fantastic Four One came out, oh. and I used to read to read all those monster books. And I remember uh, one of the stories, uh, and I, Ditko you'd see because Ditko would sign his stories a lot of times. But in this one, it was it said this monster story was Kirby Ayers. So I'm a little kid, eight nine years old. I thought that's one guy, yeah. this guy named Kirby Ayers. Yeah. And I realized later on it was Jack Kirby and Dick Ayers. I didn't know that. They were like an so. amalgam. They just became they like. Absorbed yes. into each other. Right, right. Well, it too reminded me of, of a lot of the covers that you've done. I've seen you, you've collaborated with other people on covers, again, that you've done. Mm -hmm. I've see, I see two names, uh, and I can't remember who else besides your name would be on there. Maybe it was Cockrum. Maybe it was uh, Byrne. Um, several others. And yeah. I don't know that any of the work you've done, let's say covers, yeah. has been, and you tell me if I, what they are, has been exclusively you. Oh, you mean as far as inking? Or, or, or it probably it's it's probably been since what you're doing is the inking. Okay. That well, you're I've, most likely gonna see somebody else's name with yours on a given cover. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It, 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 there's there's no um I can't think I can't think of anything at the moment. Um, the only thing I could say that people have seemed seem to like is the cover I inked over uh, Todd McFarlane, Hulk number three forty. Oh, people I know see, that and one. That, co that cover is very popular. And I didn't realize how popular it was one time when I got online and I noticed all the uh, homages it was done. Which I believe, and I think I saw a, a reversal of that here, another vendor selling it, it has a, a, a close-up shot of the Hulk, but Wolverine's blades are, are mirrored or are in that yes, cover as that's well. that's the one, yeah. With, with, his, with his face, of course, in the reflection. Right. My, that is, yeah. yeah. My, I've seen parodies of it, and I've seen one of Deadpool with forks, knives, and spoons. So oh, okay. as many different ways as humanly possible, <laughs> I love that cover. So oh. yeah, that's a good. You. No, I like that one. That's a good one. And yeah, I, 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 I have to say the, I have I, I even though I, I, I basically am an inker. I have penciled a number of covers, penciled and inked a number of covers, uh, down through the years. I did, and I, I can't think of anything offhand other than a war a war machine cover. Oh, and okay. a few others where I, I they gave me the opportunity to. Um, uh, to, to, to actually pencil. Yeah. I did a project called Iron Man. Of course, we, we have Iron Man 2020, which, we're, which is coming up uh, next year. The year, yes. The year yes. 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to do a project after the... It was a sequel to the Machine Man miniseries by Herb Trimpey and Barry Windsor-Smith. R.I.P. And Tom Herb DeFalco. Trimpey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I really liked the Iron Man 2020. He was a mercenary character, but I said, there's some, there are th some things you could do with this character. So I s submitted an idea for a plot to this to this character as a sequel to this story, oh, okay. and Tonda Falco liked it. We got an editor, and the uh, thing is, I'm not a writer. I plotted the whole thing out, but I'm not a writer. So I asked Walter Simonson if he'd like to do it, and he said, "Sure, let, yeah, let me, let's give it a whirl. Sure, we'll, we'll, we'll work together." So it was interesting working with him, not yeah. as an inker this time, but as a as a fellow uh, writer. Right, right. So I just gave him my basic plot. He fleshed it out, made it great. Obviously, made it really, really nice. And, uh, had, and, had a, and I had a good time with it. So I penciled the whole thing, and because of time, I couldn't finish it, but I laid out the last half of the story, and I had another penciler come in and named William Rosado, and he, fished, he finished it for me, and I inked it. But I inked the whole thing. Yeah. And that was an experience in and of itself, learning different techniques of story. I was studying storytelling. Some things, you know, I look back on the project, and I said, oh, I could, I could do better, naturally. Mm. But uh, it, was a, it was an experience just working with uh, Walter. 
on it, you know, learning a lot. Of, I want a quick mention, him. too. We mentioned Walter Lee's a couple times, but I'd like to give a little quick mention to his wife, Louise. Yes. Lovely lady. Got to meet them both I at, love at one or other oh, show. Yeah. I love Louise. And, and her yes. work that she's done had, had, of course, some things signed by her as well as Walter and yourself. Well, she was she, she and June were, were uh, June Brigman were uh, um, uh, just a joy to work with on, on, on mm-hmm. Power Pack. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it, I mean, June was just breaking into the business, so I was the first anchor to ink her on professionally. So she was very happy to have me you know, inking it, and yeah. I was very happy to do it myself because it was the first thing I did after I left the X-Men. Wow. So now, that, that was a lot of fun. That project was a lot of fun. Now, on the topic of the X-Men, though, what was it like being involved with the X-Men franchise, essentially, during when it was slowly becoming a pop culture juggernaut? No pun intended. Oh, I yes, now. it was, yeah, yeah. Kane oh, Marco. Maybe. But Where, where's where's my uh, symbol? Where are my symbols here? Right in like the 1980s, like it was slowly becoming like the book to read. Yes. And you got to witness that, you know, seeing these amazing creative teams, and it started to blow up. What was it like being there at the ground level, watching it and become this thing? Uh, other than I can say, you know, the uh, hackneyed expression, probably anybody else would give you is it was interesting. It was interesting to see how that book has developed. Even when the you know it, it it really took off you know but back when Len Wein and Dave Cockrum did it and then later on Len left and other writers came in but uh, uh, it was it was just it, people were very unsure about these characters very unsure I remember people yeah. not oh, this is not going to last and they're trying was- to the X Men again the X Men was a bad selling book which it wasn't actually I heard by, by by the time Neil Adams was doing it toward the end it was really picking up and they didn't give it a chance but that's another story uh, somebody else who knows better could probably fill in a lot more. And then when the it came back, it but, became like a bi-monthly book, like every other month they yeah. release it. But anyway, he, uh, yeah. so, and then then, when, then later on, when uh, 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 John Byrne took over with Chris Claremont writing it and Terry Austin inking, all of a sudden it just burst on yep. the scene. People loved it. And it was great stuff because when I was at Continuity, uh, I was I, eventually I was actually renting a room. And who's sitting next to me but Terry Austin. Yeah. So I got to see a lot of that stuff when he was, when he was working on it. And it was, a, it was a joy to look at, a joy to see. And... Uh, yeah, so I, I knew it, and then, as, as you say, the characters got even more popular and more popular because of because of that team. And then when they left, all of a sudden, it kind of dropped a little bit. Even though Cockrum came back, and Joe Rubenstein was inking the book at the time, it, it, all of a sudden it lost, I, I don't know why. I mean, I loved what, what Dave was doing. Uh, I thought he was improving upon a lot of the stuff he was doing earlier. But somehow the book, I don't know, people just didn't... Or I mean, it was selling well. I'm not saying it wasn't, it wasn't one of their best sellers. It still was a bestseller, but not as much as it used to be. Then when Paul and I got on the book, actually I, I inked some of Dave Cockrum's stuff before, um, and it was still pretty much the same. But then when Paul got on the book, all of a sudden, boom, it came back up again. So right, it was inter- as you under- say, it was very interesting to see all this, all these changes that uh, you know, were, you know, were be- all these changes that were being made in, in as far as the sales and everything like that. So yeah, Paul is like one of the most underrated X Men right, artists of all time too. I love. Sorry, he, uh, Paul is one of like, oh, the yes. most underrated because like he doesn't really get talked about that much, but. He oh, he, but he's, he's um, you know, just, just from speaking to people who I've met at conventions and, and professional-wise, I mean, he's, 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 he's adored. I mean, they love his work. Yeah. But, um, and it's, in a lot of conventions, people say, oh, I wish his run on the X-Men was a lot longer. I said, yeah, you and me both. Yeah. And it, it should have been. I think it was just he and Chris had, a, had a, more of a difference of opinion on where the book was going, and he didn't want to go there. Yeah. What kind of stuff, Bob, are you finding yourself working on now and, you know, other things that are that you're looking forward to doing that kind of stuff. And where can we find you? Where you can find me? Yeah, well, I'm here. You can, find me, you can find me on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Okay. 
and watch all, millions of people going to come right now. No, that's right. It'll need a uh, yeah, well, slow, uh, slow right. build, you know. We'll, but uh, like uh, like our podcast. <laughs> no, more that. so. Right. It's true. But no, I'm not doing. Actually, I'm I'm doing a lot of commissions. I'm I'm really behind in my commissions. Everybody is like. They're yelling and screaming. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, no, they're getting in touch. Like, Where's my commission? And they're right because a lot of times when I do a commission, I ha and then in the, if a professional job comes in, I can't turn that down. Right. So, I mean, I, I realize. And so, I'm, so right now, I'm taking a couple of months off and I'm get, getting on my commissions. But right now, I have, I'm doing a project now with Ron Wilson. I can't mention the name. I can't say who it's for. I've been uh, gag. I have a gag order. Let's gag order? Way, yeah. From but Ron? I can say, but I can say, but Ron Wilson. And it, this work is really phenomenal. I mean, I, I've... I've I've always liked Ron's work, but he is. That's another name too that yes. I met for the first time. Recently. Didn't know him from a hole in the wall, let's say, yes, because nice I, I would always see these names growing up again, reading this stuff, and then getting to say, "Oh, he's going to be here." Oh, he did the Hulk, the magazine yes, Hulk, for, yes. for one thing that I got him to autograph. And the thing, remember the thing? And the, yeah, so yep. the like, thing wow, with the stuff. Is, right, right. <laughs> now, Bob, blink yep. twice if it's for Marvel. <laughs> oh no, I'm, I don't know. But but a very nice guy, very nice guy, yes. Ron. Yeah. Oh yes. And, and uh, I've also worked with um, just recently. Where it's going to be uh, printed by the same publisher. Uh, uh, I worked with the on a project which you will see very soon too because it's already been done. But it's kind of like in the drawer type of routine. You know? Okay. Arvel Jones. Um, uh, this other guy, this uh, gentleman, wrote it, and Arvel Jones did the artwork, and I and I inked it. But I've did it a couple number of years ago, but it's never been printed, so it's like in the drawer. Now this guy wants to print this particular job. So we'll see what happens. Okay, fingers crossed for that. And another, too. another nice guy in the, in the industry, uh, and, uh, someone who I didn't realize laid out the uh, Black Panther movie poster. I didn't realize that till he, till I found out. And I said, Arvell, you don't tell me anything. Why don't you tell me that? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, we thank you very much again, Bob, for spending very some time welcome. with us again. Bob Wyacek with I us. I hope I didn't bore you. That's no, all I hope with us <laughs> since 1974, folks. Wait, great stuff, the great history. That long? Yeah, yeah it's feel. Well, I'm tired it of felt, sitting. It felt it's that long. It's yeah. really. Yeah. It was a. It was good. Thanks again, Bob. We You're appreciate very it. You're welcome. Thanks for ha thanks for having me. Once again, a big thank you for Bob Wyjack for being on the show and taking an interview, especially at a con that was as busy as that one. Next up, we have an interview with Joe St. Pierre, who is a powerhouse artist in the industry. He is known for his artwork on Spider-Man, as well as Venom, Fantastic Four, and he's worked for the Distinguished Competition on Green Lantern, Batman, and more. So, I'm not going to steal too much or say too much. I think that Peter and Eddie have do a good job interviewing, so I'm going to let them do the work, the legwork. But, without further ado, this is Comic uh, Hudson Valley Comic Con Day 1 with Joe St. Pierre. This is day one of Hudson Valley Comic-Con, and we're joined with a guy who is known for the most number one Spider-Man issues, the artist behind them in recorded history, in recorded history of mankind and Spider-Kind, Iraq-Kind, Spider-Man-Kind. Iraq-Kind, I like that. I'm kind of disappointed I didn't go with Spider-Man-Kind as the first one, though. Like, that's, that's right. a given. And yeah. Right. Spider-Man-Kind. Uh, and now it's over. Of I mean, yeah, the interview's over. Well, see All you, right. Joe. <laughs> but yeah, this is, a guy, this is a guy I've known for about, I think, five years now. And mm -hmm. the moment I, like, one of the first times <laughs> I talked to you, you go, you do Audibly Exquisite. I listen to that show. I'm a fan. I'm like. Oh, then he was hooked. No yeah, sir. And, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is Joe St. Pierre. Yeah. Hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I was there for Audibly Exquisite, the early days of Peter Melnick. 
podcaster. As a podcaster. And so yeah, that when, was fun. When you told me that, I was like, wait a minute. A guy who does all this amazing Spider-Man work, pun intended, but exactly. also, you know, just all this cool stuff with the character that I grew up loving. He likes what I do? Yeah. And what? I, I had to give you my Kleenex because you were if, <laughs> weeping openly in the middle of the floor. And I mean, they had to carry there, you off. There were so many tears at East Coast Comic Con <laughs> that year. So many. Mostly because I stubbed my toe, but otherwise. <laughs> no. And then somebody ran it over with a tractor. <laughs> so... Have you seen the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home? Have I seen the trailer? First, I'm second. Say no, that's the one with Mysterio, the new one. Yes. Yeah. And he does Tom Holland does preface the trailer by saying if you haven't seen Endgame, so I'm imagining now you have not seen Endgame. I've not seen Endgame. I'm very behind on my Marvel and DC movies. Eh, DC, you're fine. But okay. So so don't worry about seeing the second Spider-Man <laughs> Far From Home trailer. Okay. But you're, I did you're, like you're Homecoming. We can uh, talk about Homecoming if you want to. You know what? <laughs> sure, why not? Sure, it's only three years old. Who cares? But, hey, we've got Tom Holland as the character, as the guy who has drawn so many Spideys. What do you think about that version of the character? I like it. Well, that's the end of the interview. I like his size, his stature, his his cast. He's He needs... He needs heavier eyebrows, and he needs a more square chin. I can see that. For me. But that's about it. Like, he needs Peter Melnick eyebrows. Well, the eyebrows. eyebrows. No, nah, the eyebrows and chin. Peter. You sound like you're, you're talking about somebody who I saw you sketching before, and that was J. Jonah Jameson. Yes. You're fired. He's got heavy eyebrows, too. But Peter, my Peter Parker He's a criminal. heavy eyebrows, a wide lower lip, and a wide chin. Now, rumor and innuendo has, you believe, apparently... In Far From Home, J. Jonah Jameson and the Daily Bugle will be making an appearance or being involved in the movie. Sweet. And a lot of people have been going on saying who they want to see. Daniel Kibblesmith actually said Maya Rudolph would make a damn good Jameson. Get out. Do like a gender swap of it. Oh, okay. come on have now. Have you really? seen her act, though? She, she could be like throwing things at Peter Parker. <laughs> I could see it. But she's, in a different a capacity, not in a male... At least always, no question known him to be no don't mess with jonah i think i think it's fine why would you you know it doesn't matter we're not in the alterniverse or Ang anything angry like that and newspaper that is what makes jameson i don't think any other version other than a mustache really needs to predicate the gender of the character the whole concept of a newspaper editor is kind of going out the window nowadays too isn't it yeah well i guess when you've had multiple perry whites then this is what was eventually yeah. going to happen yeah but, like I said, I like the idea yes. of like, just swapping up things with Jameson. You can do it. Joan, Joan Jameson. Joan Jameson. Joan? Yes. Joan Jill the J J could just be for J. Jill I, you Joan know. Jameson. That's it, right. Because <laughs> you got to go triple J. You know, but, I hadn't thought of that, but I don't mind it. With the idea of Jameson, who would you want to see play Jameson in a future Marvel movie? I love these casting questions because Good, I, you feel like I, I do. never think of them. <laughs> My man, Joe St. Pierre, <laughs> my man. Okay, Momoa. Thank you very uh, much. Let's see. Uh, you know, I like the guy who they have, but I don't suppose they'll use him. You never know. What was his name? J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. Was he the guy who was in Hill Street Blues? Law and Order. Oh, okay. I know. My wife she, watches it all the time. So the guy. He was, he was a doctor, a psychiatrist, or something like that. Okay. The guy who was in Hill Street Blues who played Animal, he was cool. The other one somebody suggested, and I can't unsee this, 
is Terry Crews as J. Jonah Jameson. Terry Crews. Acquaint me with that character. Terry Crews, if you remember Terry Crews, he's in Deadpool 2 as the guy who, in X-Force, messes with your mind with the electricity. Oh, really? Okay. Need to do some rewatching for sure. He's also, he was in White Chicks as the guy who had the, the feelings for one of the Wayans brothers. He's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Wow. Terry, Terry's done a lot of things, but Terry Crews could be a really good J. Jonah Jameson. But J.K. Simmons, uh, Joe, you would recognize, I think, also from the uh, insurance commercials. Yes. Bum, 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 bum. I like your theme song better. Thank you. That's good. Well, it wasn't and mine, I'm, so. I'm, I'm pulling up a photo for Eddie of Terry Crews. That's Terry Crews. Uh, okay. And somebody suggested he play J. I, Jonah Jameson. I've seen him for something else, though. Not from what you said. I've seen you know, it from somewhere else. I recognize, like, I see somebody in the role, filling the role, and I go, that's good casting. But when people come to me in the reverse and say, can you cast this person as JJ? Wow. Somebody fan he looks Photoshop. too young right. for me, but yeah. okay. not All right. bad. I can go there. Another one of well, him smoking a cigar. Yeah, okay. All right, fine. We want to go that way. The because then do, you, do you, then do you take it another step, maybe? Do you go and have a, a uh, Robbie Robertson character as well at the Daily Bugle. Yeah. Or do you not, not need I don't know. And so we, we would we have to swap the uh, do some swapping on the Robbie character if you have I, I don't know. But uh, one thing is there's a lot of different spider characters going on in the universe and a lot of people what is the one version of the character that you've been asked the most? Non-Peter Parker non-regular Spidey suit. What is the one that you've been asked the most lately? To sketch, you mean? Yeah. Or it's Venom. Venom? Does Venom okay. count? Yeah, just like in, in regards to the Spider-Man universe and the mythos. It's Venom, hands down. I'll, I'll do at least one Venom at a show. It doesn't matter where I am. We got a guy in a Venom shirt right here now, actually. Yeah, yeah. There's a Venom gentleman right here. A Venomman. The Venomman. Yes. <laughs> Vitamita Venom. No. <laughs> And okay, I, so that's the second time in a week I've heard a reference to that. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm number two. I'm number two. I was number one. That's okay, weird. Okay, whatever. I knew that. But in regards to the whole thing with Venom, have you seen the Venom movie? I have. We could talk about that. <laughs> there we go, Joey. So what All did right. you think of it? I liked it. It was, you know, origin stories are extremely difficult to do well. It was an origin story. I didn't feel they needed to do an origin story for Venom. Just he accum he, you know he he acquired the suit the symbiote. That's all you need, and then go from there. So we got the origin, and we're gonna go from there. So I think the second one will be a better movie just from the gate. Are what? they talking about a second one, or are you yeah. you're oh, yeah, hopeful or both? Um, there's no doubt in my mind okay. there'll be a second one, uh, even though I haven't seen any footage or yes. I have no proof. You have. Uh We have Woody Harrelson playing Sideshow Bob Carnage. It, oh, it could work. He was the natural born natural born killer. Where I'm going the 90s, there, yep. so Just a we've seen wig. him be a psycho, a psychotic, openly in public. So I could go there, no problem. When you see the portrayal of the Venom symbiote, and I remember when I did my one of my first ever episodes of Audibly Exquisite with you, and I continually botched symbiote. I forgot how I pronounced it. What, what was it? Sy symbiote? Symbiote. Symbi symbi I don't know how you... This symbiote symbiote, or symbiote. symbiote. I said symbiote. Symbiote. And you okay. just look at me and go, it's symbiote. And I'm like, no, it isn't. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I'm actually well, telling a Venom artist. I was artist. like, Dean, that's not how you say that. I remember screwing your name up. Oh, man. But oh, in regards to... 
in regards to that version of Venom in the movie, he's almost like a big goopy cat. I've gone on record yeah. saying that, and just for me, it was cemented with the line of, I've grown rather fond of you, Eddie. Yeah, I heard the grunting, but I didn't oh, hear the I've word. I've grown very fond of you, yes. Eddie. Yeah. yeah. You started going Fozzie Bear there, I think. <laughs> waka waka. That's right, exactly. Who wants to do a funny-ass joke? Thank you. Ah. So Eddie, uh, or the symbiote, as a kind of cat or a pet kind of relationship. Yeah, it reminded me of that, like, heavily. And then, you know, to further hammer home that point, I ended up seeing, like, a meme of, like, a a venom playing or a cat playing with a ball of yarn and it turned into the symbiote oh god yeah twisted you know and it's not a yarn it's like it's like an infant's intestines or something like that yeah another alien thing did you say infant's intestines rated r right well yeah well it's all right well no pg-13 it was pg-13 oh yeah and they were allowed one f-bomb one is, is that the rule? One F bomb yeah. per PG, movie. PG thirteen, okay. you're only allowed one. Okay. And in my opinion, that is, I think, why that movie is not a part of the MCU. Like, they've continually begged, no, we want it to be a part of it. Bring in Tom Holland. <laughs> I we've now realized you look like David Duchovny. <laughs> Credit Rodney Ramos. For, yes. But hashtag he's right next to me. That for twenty four years. But yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, we were talking about the symbiote as a pet. Rated R, PG thirteen. Uh, uh, rated R, Venom should be rated R, right? But apparently, like they did PG thirteen, and it's surprising that they haven't done R for that. They should. Yeah. Did the first was the first well, one PG thirteen? Yeah, it was, wasn't it? I believe so. But now oh, going forward, oh, if there's going to be another R. one, then R, it's like R all the way, I think, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. I thought the be. first one was rated R. I didn't even know. It's a natural assumption, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. And you know what happens Apparently. when you assume, Eddie. You, you assume beat a dead horse like I do, continually. Right. This is, this is true. Absolutely. This Joe, is some, also true. So what did you guys think of the movie? I eh. enjoyed it. I, I thought it was fine. I thought it was good. I guess you kind of needed to have it established. So they did... As much as they did with it, and uh, and you know, like you said, should be no problem going forward with it, continuing it on. So yeah, yeah my problem is always the the origin story. Um, and it's the same reason why I have a problem with the Matrix. I'm about to get attacked, I'm sure, by an army of people. Eh. But my problem with the Matrix was you knew where you were going to end up. It's like what the character does with the powers is what makes the story for me. So we had. Matrix was two hours of intro, and the same with Venom. It's like we did. I, in my eyes, we didn't need two hours of intro. We needed Venom. We needed Eddie with the symbiote, relating yeah, to each other, and then moving from there. And if you, the funniest thing is, they're actually looking into doing a fourth Matrix movie. The wow. Wachowskis. Okay. The Wachowski siblings. I don't. I mean, it made enough money, didn't it? Oh yeah, and I feel like there's a lot of a lot of audience for that, so. But on, you know, a lot of people love The Matrix. I worked at MTV at the time when it came out, and we had a couple of people who used to dress like Neo. <laughs> Just, Just naturally? With the long leather jacket. I was like, dude, you're coloring backgrounds for an animated TV show, and you look like Neo. There's something wrong. <laughs> I'm curious. You said you worked for MTV at the time during that era. I yes. know you had worked on Daria. I were did. You involved, <laughs> were you involved at all with the uh, early 2000 Spider Man? 
No, I know was that gone, was CG. Was I gone by then? Or um, that good was question. That was 2003. I think that might have been a different studio, or I was gone. Take your pick. <laughs> now another one. Were you involved with Clone High USA? Clone High. That I don't even remember uh, the, the name of that. That's by the guys who do uh, Spider Verse. They do the Lego movies. That's Phil, oh, yeah? uh, Lord and Miller. So that was an MTV show. It's and it's one of the most underrated MTV series of all time. Like sure. it aired one season and got pulled because the portrayal of Gandhi on the show is that of a party animal. <laughs> and the people in India were not fond of that. Oh. So it ended up ending and Whoops. You can see the whole Couldn't series you on just MTV. like not broadcast that that episode. No, it was an going? entire season. Oh. Gandhi was the best friend of Abraham Lincoln. Oh, he was which like, is a great sentence to say out loud when you really think about it. So he yeah, I don't was know like about one that. of the main characters going through the yeah. show. Oh. And they were going to br- they were actually going to get rid of him the next season. <laughs> but another season never happened because MTV, like, you can kind of agree with this. They were not good with a lot of TV shows lasting a season. Uh, I worked on several shows that didn't make it. They were canceled before this season completed. I worked on many shows like that. That, that like, is a big disappointment. Like One of the reasons why I moved out of MTV and animation in general is it wasn't artistically rewarding for me to bust my hump for a paycheck and then have no one see it. Wow. It was very frustrating actually. Yeah, exactly. All right, onward. Some other <laughs> some other things I'm Joe that uh, my Eddie go with something positive. <laughs> <laughs> some other uh, characters so, that folks would recognize you've uh, put your artistic talent to? Uh, well, let's see. I drew uh, quite a number of issues of Spider-Man. Uh, I did Aquaman for DC. I did a the just recently, very recently, did a uh, Green Lantern cover for DC. That that's probably on the shelves now. So you could go to go to any comic shop that's got like you know the back issues right on the same shelf with the current issues. You could probably go there and pick that up now. So that was a lot of fun. I tried to order a few for appearances, and apparently they're sold out. So. Um, was this the uh, Grant Morrison run of Green Lantern? This is the Grant Morrison run that's currently running. I did a alternate cover variant for issue five. That's awesome. So that was very cool. Yeah, that was fun. And one of the things also in recent memory with Marvel, you were the one that did the art for the Roy Thomas print that happened not too long ago. Oh, yeah, last year they did a tribute print for uh, Roy Thomas to celebrate all the freaking crap ton of characters that he created. Oh, and unreal. As I look through some older comics, I go, Roy? 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 Yeah. Wow. So many things. Yeah. <laughs> Marvel's second wave of uh, genius characters that I grew up on and loved. Yep. Roy was the boy. Yeah. Including uh, Tiger Shark, who was uh, one of the Submariner's greatest villains. <laughs> There's another hashtag for David. Thank you. Other characters, titles. Comic books. Oh, That's Green exactly Lantern. right. How cool is Hal Jordan? I think he's very cool. Yeah. And I like him because he's kind of like a stiff. He's dead? He's, we no, didn't he's even know he was like sick. Oh, you just like stole my joke. What the hell was that? About time. Again? That's it. That's it. The first time. Sir, that is gimmick infringement. I will have you. You will see my attorney. He is. Yeah, you want another one? Holy moly. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm not Billy Batson. Yeah, well, Shazam. See, see nothing. That's exactly right. Believe me, I would love to say that, and I'd be fine with that. Just turn into, my. you know, I turn into Captain Marvel, but I, you know, I somehow have bigger boobs than I already or do. Or slime it's, or something. I don't know. Well, I'm talking about becoming Captain Marvel. Oh, right. Carol. Okay. Yes, I know. 
Lord, do I know. Stop that. So also, in regards to just... When you worked for Marvel and you did that Roy Prince, were there what, what other characters did you want to throw in there? Were you like wanting to throw some like deep cuts in there? Well, Tiger Shark was my probably my deepest cut, and I made sure I got him in there. Freaking love Tiger Shark. What was Roy's reaction to seeing Tiger Shark on there? Uh, mm, I think R the Roy reaction that I remember best is, oh, you forgot so-and-so or so. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about Roy, by the way. You, like, I've heard stories like after a con, like there'll be like a diner and everyone's sitting there, and he'll just walk up to random fans and go, hey, so you like comics? Oh, does he really? And just, yeah, oh, cool. like we'll just join in in conversation with them. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Because, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, like the, the big name creators are like, they, they want to eventually like stop talking about it. Yeah. He's just like, yo, I just want to <laughs> talk about comics. Oh, he's <laughs> a blast to talk to. I, I wish I could uh, spend more time with him. Uh, what are some comics you're awesome. reading nowadays? What is he writing? No, what are you reading nowadays? Oh, what am I reading? Yeah, oh, what comics? comics that I'm reading. Another one of those questions, right? Uh, well, I just finished. Uh, I'm reading my 70s Marvel magazines nice. right now. So I got Unknown Worlds of Science Fiction. I have, like, the first five issues of that. So I read those. Those are great. Those are a lot of fun. Uh, I'm trying to think of something current that I might have read. Yeah. I read Mr. Miracle, uh, Tom King's Mr. Miracle. I'm two issues into that. Yeah. So good. Yeah, you liked so it? Yeah, good. it was fun. Well, not fun, but more yeah. like just like really intense. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. when you go and do the first issue and he's laying in a, uh, like, wasn't he in a, like a bathtub like, like after he cut his, his wrist? Wrists. I don't yeah. think that's very fun. Spoilers. Fun yeah. for, well, I mean, it, it did the, go to 12 issues. It is the issues, first page. <laughs> and it did go 12 issues, so yeah. I think he survived. True, true, true. Mr. Miracle number nine, still no sign of the man. So that was strong. I mean, it's not my Mr. Miracle, but what it was was pretty solid. Can't, I feel like I shouldn't give any spoilers. My so. go-to one, though, for like new comics nowadays, have you considered reading Immortal Hulk? I've heard a lot of good things about it. I, I don't think I've read it. Oh, by the way, Eddie, I was telling you you should try and track it down. Yes. Yeah, good luck with that. The first, I think, 12 issues go up to, like, I think, 400 in total. So have fun. Really? Cha-ching, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, no I so lucked out. I trades. Well, tell that to Eddie. I'm a collector. You're not a trade if guy? I'm gonna If I'm going to do that, I, uh, we'll see. Okay. I'm not I'm not there at this point, so okay. no, nobody said I was going for it or the ultimate run either. I'm a big fan of Mark Wade's and I was reading his Hulks. Uh, I didn't finish his run on the Hulk, but I thought that was a pretty strong idea. So I was reading Mark Wade's run on Hulk and I thought that was a good idea. I liked him as Bruce Bruce Banner is an intelligent man. He doesn't have to roam the deserts for forty years. You know, he can try to solve the problem of the Hulk. And uh, I like that idea very much. And using his brains and having, a, again, a supporting cast of characters I think is very helpful for a comic book series. I've been going through right now, uh, what's it called? Peter David's Hulk. And Mamma Mia, what a series. Yeah, really you like that. That was oh good God. too, right? It's so good. And yep. to see a guy do a run on a character for that long and not run out of steam for that long. Yeah, over 100 issues, right? He did it for 10 years. Yeah. Nice. And, like, same thing with Claremont. Claremont. Like, 
there were dips in Claremont's run with the X-Men, but it wasn't, you know, like, all bad. It was still really good stuff. I think by definition, you work on something that long, you have to have dips. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, yeah. X-Men in Australia, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That was a still. dip. I would call that a dip. <laughs> it's still, you know, fun a Down stuff. under dip. Yeah. Stop that. Good day. Yeah. With Rogue in the Savage Land, that's a high point. I'm trying to think of some other books, like just solid stuff, like nowadays to recommend to you, because Old yeah, Man Logan was amazing. Like that's a great run. Old Man Logan, the series. Lemare, like Lemare's run with uh, I forgot the name of the artist now, but Lemare worked with this artist as well on what's it called, uh, Green Arrow for DC for the New Fifty Two. Oh yeah, I know the ar- I know who you're talking about. And yeah. just gorgeous looking, really stuff. really photorealistic. Yeah, and just impressive. But yep. yeah. Good I mean, stuff. I'll look. I'll look for it. Thank you. At my local library. <laughs> hey, you're whatever, still supporting a library. Yes. Whatever it takes. Yep. Hashtag whatever it takes. Yep. One back to Spider-Man: Homecoming, Joe. And was there anything from that that you wish they could have done, or maybe hope they can do going forward? Regarding or, or anything in terms of characters, or throwing other ones in, maybe to to develop more. Well, this the storyline that I'm always curious that's not getting any real attention is one of my favorites. It's where J. Jonah Jameson pays or funds or backs a crooked scientist to create the Scorpion. And Scorpion, okay. I was, I was thinking, uh, which was later, I think, obviously. Or uh, the spider. Human Fly or the Spider Slayer yeah. or, you know, any of those characters. But okay. for me, the Scorpion is... is and for me, he's one of my favorite Spider-Man villains. Of one all of the time. oldest ones, earliest ones, I think, yeah, too, totally. actually. Do you think now that they're teasing that the Bugle is going to be involved in Spider-Man movies, maybe Scorpion could happen? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's a good question because my brain kind of connects all the movies, even though they're probably not intended to be connected. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, So is there... There is no Daily Bugle presence in Homecoming. Not in Homecoming, but oh. Far From Home will have. Oh, yeah. okay. So, yeah, I mean, the, uh, the idea of Spider-Man as the, uh, the honorable outlaw is that's my Spider-Man. That's my jam. So, yeah, the, you know, having the media going after Spider-Man in any way falsely accused of whatever fill in the blank you know killing captain stacy or whatever mm. uh that's that's my spider-man there is a line in the new spider-man trailer and it's not a spoiler so i can you know say it but he talks to the police and he go the guy goes oh are you gonna be the new so-and-so and he goes no i can't i'm doing your job <laughs> so oh yes i kind of like that so you could see a storyline where you know media mogul Jane Jameson is fed up with this criminal Spider-Man, and so they're going to openly fund someone who's going to capture Spider-Man. Yeah. And it could be the Scorpion. I prefer the Scorpion. It could be you know, a more modern-looking Spider-Slayer character. What about the band of the Scorpions? 
a band of scorpions? The band of the scorpions. <laughs> oh, Rocky like a heavy metal band. Yeah, okay. Winds of change. I'm good. I'm good with that. Winds of change blow I'm the dust. I'm not good with that. I'm not good with that at all. <laughs> I don't like that idea. The winds. The winds of change are the ones that blew the dust when everyone got yeah. snapped. I love the scorpions, but I don't. Well, like that was a good that. one, Eddie. It's singular. It's just wind. Stop that. He wanted to go there, so I give you a name, title, chapter, verse, just about. If you want to go with Scorpions, good band. Okay. Very good band, They're actually, great. yeah. I'm leaving you. I like that song a lot. Oh, yeah. He knows the Scorpions. Oh, yeah, I do. That's very good. Yeah. Good stuff. Yes. Okay. When the smoke is going down. See, we're going okay. deep cuts here. Mm -hmm. And no one like you is just classic. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the staple is. That's the one everybody knows. The staple is Rocky Like a Hurricane, though. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And big, big City Nights. There we good go. Okay. You. Still loving you. Oh, man, I'm <laughs> stuck in a group. The Zoo. The there you go. Okay. Bruce Dickinson did a good cover good of it. Good seven, what, Iron Maiden? Yeah. Okay. Didn't know. Not much into that. But okay. we were talking about the Marvel Scorpion. Yes, yes. He would be good. Uh, um, Combine the Scorpion with the Spider Slayer? Mm, probably not. Don't need to. I like Matt Gargan. He's a psychopath. Yeah, I like that's where crazy. I was stuck on the name, yeah. Yeah, I like crazy, crazy guy who's going to hunt down Spider-Man. That's my thing. And just get crazier as he gets more beaten or beat up or whatever. I love it. So then he's unpredictable. Is that so that's going to be Spider-Man 3? You never know. Hey. Far from the law. Well, I know <laughs> there's so much that we can't talk about yet just because spoilers for you, but ah. also spoilers for what we don't know could be. You know? Okay. Yeah, okay. exactly. Because you've seen Endgame and it's important to the, I cannot confirm or deny at this time. Thank yeah, you. I think we keep we'll keep that on the on the QT. We'll so, keep this under so my hat that I'm not see wearing. Endgame though, it's good. In all honesty, see it in a theater just for the bigness of it. Okay. You know, there's just something about it really good. Okay. Before it's gone, and uh, hopefully yeah. still hear audience reaction to it, okay. like uh, in the first couple of weekends that it was open and stuff. Yep. It's there's really a lot of impactful. Hell yeah moments. Oh, yeah? Cool. I've had to skip my Instagram and Facebook oh, yeah. for a while because... Don't check the Marvelous now. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, that episode I, went up a week ago. I'm so. no, I'm not to your podcast. No. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about our Facebook page. Well, you asked... Oh, your Facebook page? Oh, too? we post memes. Okay. My favorite is a Thanos line. He's You've the, seen that one. He's, he's the memeing Melnick. That's, that's what he does. Don't share. Don't share. Me, I'm just usually finding stuff for our daily, our daily posting feature, which is actually kind of a cool thing, that we can find new material. Okay. We take, but we take Sunday off. <laughs> okay. But we're good. And well, you should. No one goes on Facebook on Sundays. Right? Uh, I do. <laughs> yeah, they, it's not like they shut it down. Uh, Joe, other stuff coming up that you're doing, working on, or where we could see you maybe later this year? I have an ongoing graphic novel series with uh, Fabien Cousteau, the grandson of the famous... Jacques? Undersea explorer, Jacques ah. Cousteau, yep. He himself is an advocate for the environment and an undersea explorer himself. So we, the first volume came out last month. It's called uh, The Great White Shark Adventure. And um, I'm working on the, the next one now. It's called The Arctic, Arctic Adventure, something like that. They go to the North Pole. Oh, nice. And, it looks yeah. like it's uh, kid-friendly also. I see it on your table yep, here. Yeah, very kid-friendly, ages 8 and up. I thought I'd try something that... Uh, Kind of expanded the audience a little bit. When you announced it on your Facebook that day, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah, like, just plain, this is awesome. Well, I, 
one of the cool things is I'm learning while I'm reading the book too. So yeah. it's like I didn't know we killed six million sharks a year on, across the planet. I'm like, well, killing six million of anything is probably not a good idea. No. So I, you know, little tidbits like that, I try to post them too, as like tidbits on my Instagram. You know, little things. Did you know this about a shark? You know, that kind of. Thanos thing. killed a lot of sharks. I know that. Yeah, half the population. Probably half of the right? shark population. Absolutely. We didn't even know about it. No, they're underwater. We were too big. most likely. Yeah, well, that's another thing. We've only explored five percent of the world's oceans. What? We've explored more of space. That's than we and have isn't it still? Of the ocean, and what? isn't it still true that the Earth is still two thirds water? It's three quarters. I three think. quarters. Yeah. Now? Okay. Yeah, man. There's a lot of water. That's a lot of fish. Yeah. Godzilla. A, a lot of unknown stuff. Yes. Well, I was referencing Godzilla from. That's good. That's a lot of fish. <laughs> Prove to me that Godzilla couldn't exist. You can't. You have only explored five percent of the Joe, world's oceans. What if Godzilla was one of us? Just a slob like one oh. of us. Oh, Joan. Just a stranger on the bus. There's another Joan Look. reference. Joan Ouch. Osborne, kids, 1995. Ouch. That goes way back. See, I'm trying to find a way to also shoehorn in a Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons reference, okay. but I don't know. I don't know. Okay. You'll get there by the end of the show. How All I know is who loves have? you, pretty mama. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. That's good enough. You shouldn't talk to strangers like that. All right, Joe, where can we Damn find you? Are good. Where, where can we find you, Joe, as we as we thank you again oh, on social media, if let's, anywhere? Let's go to JoeStPierre.com. How about that? And then there's all the links to the social media there. All right, do you have a laptop? Are we doing this? Are we going to go to JoeStPierre.com? You want to? Let's go. Okay. Together. Ready? <laughs> This it's is like turning into the magic school bus. <laughs> We're entering the Matrix now, I guess. I mean, land, ride the rainbow to my website. Joe, it has been an absolute pleasure. As usual. <laughs> Thank you as always. And once again, you are more than welcome to guest on the show. Thank you. You, you doing Terrificon? Uh, yes. Eddie, yep. are you doing Terrificon? Yes, I am. Well, awesome. we will see you. See you there, soldier. At the Orange County Fair. <laughs> no, you won't. Big thanks to Joe St. Pierre for the interview. Last up, I promise, this is the last one. We have an interview with Ron Mars, comic book uh, writer uh, who's known for a lot of different interesting work he's done. He worked on series such as Silver Surfer, Green Lantern. He worked on the DC Marvel crossover. And again, I don't want to give too much away about the conversations they have. I don't want to steal all the thunder from the interview. So I'm going to let them speak for themselves. But um, Ron Mars has a cool guy. And Peter Eddie have a great interview with him, talk about a lot of interesting stuff about the comic universe, about the comic industry, um, how the films are going, etc. So if you like the MCU, you're in the right place. Um, so again, not going to take up too much time. Without further ado, this is the interview with Ron Mars. Welcome one, welcome all. Hudson Valley Comic Con 2019. It's Saturday, May 18th, May 10th. Eddie Wilson and Peter Melnick of The Marvelous here. And thanks to our interview right now. That is Ron Mars. Ron, thank you. Appreciate the time. Sure. I was, you know, hanging around Poughkeepsie with nothing to do. So No, don't say that. You got plenty to do. You got plenty going on here at your table. Uh, we've seen you not only here, but at other places like uh, Albany. And uh, you're you're kind of native to the area, so not a big uh, trek for you, which is good. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I was I actually uh, was born and raised in Kingston, uh, just north of Poughkeepsie, and uh, and you know now the Albany area is kind of home base. 
Let's get a rundown of uh, some of your more notable work, if the fa- if the fans are not quite sure. Um, Silver Surfer, Thor, Green Lantern, Superboy, uh, Star Wars, Marvel vs. DC, Witchblade. Uh, and a host of others. I've been doing it for almost 30 years. So say you started in I've, the uh, 80s, I guess. Uh, uh, my first my first book came out in 1990. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. I recognize the name for many many a title, and you've been nice enough to sign quite a few for me. So that that's really appreciated. Marvel versus DC and DC versus Marvel is essentially a staple of my childhood. The number I think three was like one of the very first uh, Marvel and DC comics I ever got. It was so. um, it was supposed to be a staple of your childhood. That's Damn right. That's why we did it, um, and you know, and then we did it as a big sort of popcorn, you know, summer matinee kind of kind of story, um, the kind of story that you know obviously everybody has wanted since they were eight years old looking at spinner racks and. I finally was the one that, you know, was lucky enough to be able to get to do it. I'm curious, were there like any characters that were on the cutting room floor that didn't get to make it into the uh, story? Um, yeah, everybody. Uh, <laughs> you know, it uh, obviously we had what whatever we ended up with, 130, 140 pages to tell that whole story. Um, because they wanted it to be, you know, get in, get out, be able to do a collection. Um, and and pump some pump some money into comic book stores because the industry was in a downturn at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you if you did that story now, you know, it'd probably be a 256 part miniseries. Uh, but that's cosmic uh, alone. And that was honestly my my biggest regret with the whole thing is we didn't have more pages, but we knew what we had going in and we made the best of it. In regards to that, there's actually one of my uh, favorite things is the interpretations of like what was hot at the time like you'll see like Lobo squaring off against I believe Wolverine wasn't it in that story um the the thinking behind the whole thing was because I was I was kind of the one agitating for well let's do the classic versions of every character um the ones that are most recognizable and ultimately the editorial decision was let's let's do the characters as they are right now because we want to bring people into shops right now, and we want them to respond to the characters as they are now. So, so we wound up with you know with essentially um, Spider-Man in a weird Ben Riley costume and Superman huh. looking a little little mullet-like. And yeah. so we 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 did the we did the characters as they were right at that moment, um, which was probably not not my first choice, but also served the purpose of you know if if you like. If you like Superboy in this story now, he's doing the same thing in his monthly book, you know, every month. Do you ever see Marvel and DC maybe going back to what they did and do it one more time? I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, that was the 90s. It was a much different time in publishing. Um, and Marvel and DC were a lot friendlier than they are now. Um, and now we have the mouse. They, and they weren't, you know, they weren't, uh, at least Marvel wasn't owned by a huge corporate entity. Um the truth of it is, at at that point, Marvel and DC needed each other. You know, the the market was not great. Um, so, so when times are tough, you you know, strange bedfellows and all that. Yeah. Um, and the 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 real the real fact of it now is, Marvel and DC don't need each other. They're they're making huge money um, on things other than comics. They're making huge money off of uh, movies and TV and everything that we played with in that series is now a multi-billion dollar franchise. Um, and it certainly wasn't the case then. We were just doing comics at that point. 
And it's funny because we mentioned, of course, the beginning Marvel and DC, and the first thing I thought of was in 1982, I think it was, the Marvel and DC combination of X-Men and Teen Titans. Oh, yeah, that's... And then a couple of the big big size Treasury Edition books, whether it was Batman and Hulk, Spider-Man and Superman, that kind of thing. Yeah, and the, I thought, whoa, what's going on here? The, the X-Men Titans book is really one of the books that brought me back to reading comics. Because, you know, you, you read comics as a kid, and then you fall out of the habit, and you discover, yeah. you know, girls and cars and all the other things yeah. that, that raging hormones lead you to. Um, but that Teen Titans X-Men book, um, I stumbled across at a mall, uh, at, a, at the Hudson Valley Mall in Kingston, New York. Okay. That was, they were having an antique show, and one of the, one of the vendors was a, was a comic book vendor. And they had that sitting out on a table, and I thought, well, X-Men and Teen Titans, that can't, that can't be real. That, that, that's not a thing. <laughs> Wait a minute, there's peanut butter and chocolate together? <laughs> so, so I bought it, and you know, it, that's still my favorite crossover ever. The, you know, the, story is, the story is tremendous, and the Simonson, Walt Simonson, Terry Austin artwork mm. um, is still one of my favorite jobs ever. So getting that book and just sort of that sort of got the hook back in my mouth and really led me to where I am today. That's it. Ron Mars, the fish. We heard it here. I can't unsee that now, that visual. He is drinking water. So. Well, he's got to keep hydrated. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, with that, I'm actually curious. What were some other uh, crossovers in that story that you want, like you guys pitched, but ultimately it didn't happen in terms of like fights? Um, no, no, I mean, we tried to squeeze in everything we possibly could, even if it was just for a panel. Even if it was, you know... I. Two-Face and Jigsaw facing off. I mean, there was a lot of that sort of stuff that that we just wanted to get. We just wanted to show it to you. Even if it was one image, we wanted to get all of that cool stuff in there. Um, you know, Hawkeye and Green Arrow. And, you know, all of the all of the stuff that was so obvious that when we were, when we were making lists of who should fight who, I mean, there wasn't a lot of discussion because most of them are so obvious. Most of them have have counterparts in the other universe in some way that you really want to um, you, you really want to show that off to the readers. So we we got to virtually everything. We just didn't have enough room to do do them all justice. Maybe I was having a fever dream, but didn't Howard the Duck show up in it as well? Because I know what? they did didn't Howard the Duck show up in it as well? I don't know. Howard's probably in one of those in one of the issues that that Peter did the main scripting on. Peter David did the main scripting on rather than the ones that I did. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, we, we, we got Snapper Car in there, so, you know, damn near everybody else showed up, too. <laughs> wow. What kind of stuff are you doing these days, Ron, working on and so on? Uh, I'm still working on Turok for Dynamite. Uh, just finished up Fathom for Aspen. Um, and I am the editor-in-chief and one of the partners in Ominous Press, which means we do a lot of our own books. Mm. Um, I edit stuff. I write stuff. Um, I edit... Uh, I edited our series of art books, the black books. We've got Jim Starlin, Graham Nolan, Andy Smith, Bart Sears, um, Daryl Banks, and Rick Leonardi coming. Um, so uh, it's kind of like doing creator-owned material, but it's sort of owned by the company. But since yeah. we own the company, it's it's we're playing with our own toys. Um, there you go. So I, I'm yeah, I sort of divide my time between my ominous duties and then whatever else I can squeeze in. Now, speaking of playing with toys, you, for a time, were the main architect of Silver Surfer. And Silver Surfer has, there's been like rumblings, you know, with fans like, 
when is the surfer going to show up and surface in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? How would you introduce that character into that mythos? Um, I don't know. We were actually talking about this the other day at, at uh, Free Comic Book Day. I was in Buffalo with Jim Starlin for FCBD, and um, we were talking about do you, you know, do you do the coming of Galactus and bring in Surfer that way? Or do you do, you know, a separate Surfer story and then somehow do a, do a flashback to Galactus? I, you know, I tend to think the Surfer's introduction as the Herald to Galactus, it's hard to beat that story. It's one of the, it's one of the, you know, one of the premier Marvel stories ever. It's really, yeah. to me, it's emblematic of everything that, that, should, that Marvel should and does do. Um, in fact, I just went out and bought the that monstrous oversized edition that reprints a lot of the Galactus stuff that, oh, wow. that Marvel did. Uh, just because I love that story. I love um, the idea that they made it gigantic. Oh yeah, they, there's a there's like a 18 by 20, 24, something like that. Huge hardcover of a lot of Galactus stories. I have omnibus. Um, I haven't seen it in the wild, and I want to see the it. The coolest thing ever. Um, in fact, I was I was I had. Um, my local shop had ordered me one, and then Diamond shorted them, so I never got it. Oh boy! So, uh, so I was at a I was at the Empire State Con in Albany not long ago, and a guy and a guy walked past me carrying that book, and I was like, "Hey, where'd you get that?" And he's like, "Oh, there, you know, there's a there's a booth down there. They had it, you know." So you it's, tackled it's like, them and took it's like, it. It's like a fifty dollar book, and he's like, "Ah, oh, you know, I offered him forty bucks, and they took it." And I'm like, "They didn't you happen did to have you did really two good. of those, did they?" He's like, "No, it was the last one." So. As it turned out, it was you did tackle him and was, take it. It was actually it was the booth of some guys that I know that have a local a local gaming and comic shop in Clifton Park called Toffle, and I was okay, like, "Okay, that is a fun did, name." Did you guys <laughs> did you guys have that book? He's like, "Oh yeah, we've been sitting on that for months. We couldn't sell it, um, so they got rid of it." So I eventually had to order one online. Was it forty on there? It was less than forty. It was like thirty something. Add a boy. Wow. So. Uh, Discount comic book service. Thank you very much. Yes, they they are definitely a site that you know a lot of people should check out if they haven't. And in regards to Surfer, like I said, your run in that is on par with the Jim Starlin stuff as like one of the most iconic runs of the character. And to be able to see your stuff, like elements of the cosmic Marvel, show up on the big screen and in all the different iterations of the Surfer on the big screen, it's got to be cool to see. Oh yeah, I mean obviously it's. It's far more gym stuff than mine, um, but just you know, just the fact that we live in a world where everybody knows who Thanos is, um, where where Thanos is mentioned on Saturday Night Live as a punchline during Weekend Update. And unfortunately, wow. now we also live in a world where there's fan art involving Thanos in ways that I can't talk about. That oh yeah, yeah Jim Starlin, you know. he he mentioned during an interview with him, he's like, people have told me to check that. I'm like, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. We want yeah, we want to keep products you here. out there that you want to see. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's such a, look, when I, I wrote, you know, Thanos 25 years ago, and, and nobody knew who the hell Thanos was. And now uh, he's doing a couch gag on The uh, Simpsons. Yeah. Now it's, it's, um, it's just part of, it's part of the culture. It's not part of our culture, the, you know, sort of the hardcore comics culture. It's part of everybody's culture. You know, that, that almost $2 billion that the movie made at the box office didn't just appear out of nowhere. I mean, everybody in the world knows about it now. Be honest. How are you going to feel the day Kyle Rayner makes it to the big screen? I'll be, I'll be pretty jazzed. Uh, you know, it's you, you never know how this stuff is going to work. And, and certainly with with a, 
Green Lantern's a, a, an interesting conundrum because they obviously did a movie, didn't do great. Uh, so, to a certain extent, they have to let that they have to let that half that that radioactive half life um, half life yeah <laughs> uh, expire before they can really go back at it. So, um, you know, and and Green Lantern is one of those franchises where, you know, it's not. It doesn't have to be Tony Stark as Iron Man. It doesn't have to be Bruce Wayne as Batman. Anybody who gets the ring is is Green Lantern. So you can, it's one of the most flexible franchises, um, and the one that I think is sort of the closest to space opera, uh, cosmos kind of story that DC has. Um, you know, I, I Marvel has made sort of their their space opera with Guardians of the Galaxy, I can see Green Lantern, a, a, a real Green Lantern core movie, touching on a lot of those same notes. The rest of this year, Ron, where uh, where can we find you? Any other cons you're scheduled to go to and stuff? <clears throat> um, I'm always scheduled for cons. Oh. Um, That's a secret, Captain. Uh, well, you know, it's obviously the proliferation of, of conventions as, again, not a not a niche thing for us, but as a mainstream thing for for everybody means that there are more opportunities to do shows and there's you know there's competition for for shows to get guests so um i'm doing chicago in a couple of weeks i'm doing um doing a you know doing some shows closer to the area but then you know i'm doing a number of wizard shows later in the year uh that i'm not sure if i'm supposed to mention the specific places yet but um i'm usually you know i usually want to go someplace i haven't been before like bring me Bring me someplace interesting so I can see stuff. Where would, you like to, uh, where would you like to go? Uh, I've been fortunate enough to go to a lot of places. Uh, I haven't done a show in France. I really want to do I, Whoa. I had a I had a show in Paris scheduled last year, but um, ended up getting sick and had to had to cancel out of it. Wasn't that one Neil Adams was doing, too? Because like, he um, goes to all those there's, like, far uh, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough to do uh, uh, any number of international shows. I mean, this, this our culture has grown to... Um, you know, to everywhere in the world, I've been to I've been to six continents doing shows. So wow. Um, so it's it's uh, obviously it's a huge blessing. I just got back from South Africa a couple weeks ago, um, and that was my second trip to South Africa to do a con. It's you know it's amazing that that you know I I sit in a room by myself most days and make up stuff, and and that actually gets me invited to go, you know, to go to South Africa and then go to Kruger National Park and see see lions in the wild um i i feel very blessed but um you know but i'm always looking for the next invitation so we we've got uh we've got a number of international shows lined up and then i actually have a i have another um i've had my first first show for 2020 booked i'm going to to scotland so very uh, very nice with the convention scene you've seen a lot of you know people dress in costume as the characters what was your reaction the first time you saw a kyle rayner costume um, I don't really remember when the first time I saw Kyle was, but um, I was—I remember being really impressed by it because the guy, like, he had the costume down. You know, it wasn't just—you know—I I bought some stuff at Party City and threw it threw it together. It really went to a huge amount of effort to to make that costume because the accoutrements of that costume didn't exist anywhere at that time. You couldn't uh, you couldn't go out and buy you know buy parts of it. So. Uh, you know, uh, the the cosplay aspect I think has really made a huge uh, a huge difference in 
the overall acceptability or like the overall embrace of the audience in this stuff. I mean, people people go crazy for cosplay, and it's not just here. It's it's everywhere. The cosplay contest, any show that I do, whether it's you know, it's here, it's in New Zealand, it's in South Africa, it's in Malta, like that's always pretty much the biggest event that the that the show ever has. Um, it's uh, it's a worldwide phenomenon that that I you know like I've the only time I ever cosplay is Halloween. You know that's uh, who would be your go to though if you could do it for at uh, least one time. The the best the best costume I ever had and still have is Marley's ghost from A Christmas Carol. Wow, uh, I like it. I like it a lot. You can use it more than once a year for sure. So that was I actually wore that to a to a party at Bernie Wrightson's house, and um, <laughs> so it was you know a complete everything was white, you know, white waistcoat, breeches, wrapped in white chains and cobwebs and everything, and and if you end up um, going to a party dressed as Marley's ghost in all white and you end up imbibing a little too much and falling down in the mud and the leaves outside the party uh, you wake up the next morning you know in a somewhat different state than you than you left yeah got the visual there ghosted or something I don't know what the story yeah I like the line though the only time I cosplay is Halloween it doesn't apply to me but Putting those two in the same sentence is, is very cool because I'm about Halloween as well as cosplay as well, within some reason. So in regards to all of the movies nowadays that, you know, you see these things, what was the moment you realized, oh, my God, this is really, they're really pulling out all the stuff, bringing in, like, obscure characters and doing this and doing that? Well, I think when, when it started to become obvious that the Marvel films were building something, you know, the, the Marvel, well, the Marvel films were building to the Avengers, because um, that's the kind of stuff we do in comics. We didn't think, you know, we didn't think anybody else did that stuff. That's that's our thing. Um, so having a connected universe and having um, having stories that build upon each other and pay off in a in another film, um, that's a very foreign concept up until up until Marvel started doing uh, started doing it and, and making it successful. I mean, the fact that there were storylines that went over multiple movies, which is the kind of stuff we do in comics all the time, yeah. but you just don't, you know, you don't think that that's going to that's gonna translate to, to the lay audience, to John Q. Public. But, you know, damn if it didn't. I mean, people, people want to know how these things are going to be paid off. People want to understand um, s- establishing these characters separately and then putting them together in the Avengers and how the events in Avengers then sort of played out in different movies. It's, you know, it's, on the one hand, it's masterful storytelling, and on the other hand, it's the stuff we've been doing in comics for 50 years. I guess what I'm getting at is, why are you excited a Moon Knight movie should happen? Say it again? <laughs> I guess I guess what I'm getting at is, why are you excited a Moon Knight movie should happen? Obviously. Um, <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. Wouldn't what, it? Right? One of my favorite characters. But, look, the, the fact that we have... We have not only an Ant-Man movie that was successful yeah. and good, but an Ant-Man sequel that was successful and good boggles my mind. My, my thing is, in regards to you know, Ant-Man, yeah, that was a movie also, Stan Lee loved that character. That was his favorite character from what I've heard. And the fact that he got to see the character go on the big screen and have a great movie, that was awesome for him. Well, I think it's, it's a testament to how 
how well defined these characters are. Um, and also, the fact that they turned Ant-Man into a heist movie. Like, that, that they were, they were, um, they were wise enough to make sure that these movies had a different sensibility. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy is a comedy. Um, with some really cool outer space stuff, too. But it's funnier than any of the other movies. Um, Ant-Man is a heist movie. Uh, the, the fact that they can do different colors in, these, in, in the different films, I think, is really smart. And I'm very interested to see like where the next phase of these movies goes so that, um, so that they can start to explore a little bit more and, and do, you know, it's not just origin movies. It's not just, you know, hey, here's Tony Stark and he's, he made this Iron Man armor and now he's Iron Man. You know, you had to do that stuff initially, but now um, it's a much wider playing field because they've, they've made a wider playing field. I mean, Deadpool wouldn't exist as a film without the, the vast success of the Marvel movies that came before it because they gave everybody the language to understand what Deadpool was doing, to understand that, that, it's, that it's a satire, that it's, that it's self-reflexive. And, you know, if you had done that same Deadpool movie before the Marvel Cinematic Universe came out, nobody would have went to see it. And that's the thing about the movies also. Like, they go for different tones. Like, you know, you have Winter Soldier, a political thriller. You have Logan, which is film noir. You have... You know, we were going to have Gambit be a rom-com. That's one of those. I don't know if that could have worked, but they could have tried. You know? Well, you, you know, I feel like every time you, every every time someone predicts the demise of these things, or every time everybody everybody says, "Oh, people are going to get sick of superhero movies," you know, the next one comes out and makes a billion dollars. So obviously, it's a golden goose right now. I mean, at some point, at some point interest will diminish I mean it's an it's inevitable you know, like every every TV show in the 50s was a western now there aren't so many westerns so I, I think it, it's inevitable but a lot of these concepts are elastic enough that that there's still a lot more life in them so what you're getting at is we're going to get Rawhide Kid make his debut in the MCU oh god your lips to your lips to God's ears <laughs> I, I you know that was actually I, I bought two books at the last show I was at one was a <clears throat> one was a reprint of uh, Gil Kane's Starhawks um, comic strip which I love because I love Gil Kane and the other one was a Marvel Masterworks of Rawhide Kid. That's fantastic and when you said about you know predicting what could be the downfall movie what could be you know the uh, one that causes the, the fatigue or whatever I thought Ant-Man was going to be and I thought Guardians was going to be and I was wrong. Well they you know they Marvel understands their formula very well um not that they make the same movie over and over again, but they're smart enough to, to know that there's, there's some pathos to it, there's some angst, there's comedy, there's, there's you know, big action stuff. Um, and the movies are clever. You know, is, is Ant-Man the greatest heist movie ever made? No, of course not. But, you know, I started to watch it again on a plane back from South, South Africa just because, you know, it's, it's highly entertaining. It's 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 well crafted, it's well crafted uh, fun, and there are a lot of movies that aren't. You know, so when when sort of the Marvel brand communicates to the audience, these movies are are of a quality level and of a uh, a cleverness that you know you're going to get your money's worth. That's why people show up every time. Absolutely. So now before we wrap this up, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Uh, 
Social media, I am at Ron Mars on Twitter. You got that little uh, verified thing, I see. I am verified on Twitter, which which for some reason like sets some dudes off. Like if you if you have a blue check mark, they're odd people that are really upset about that. But 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 you know, obviously there are odd people that are really upset about everything yes. on Twitter. Um, so uh, Twitter is the main one. That's the one that I that I tend to pay attention to every day. Um, there's a Facebook fan page. Uh, there's an Instagram account that somebody else uh, sort of looks after for me because I don't have time to tend to all of them. And then there's the website, which is uh, ronmars.com, which, which needs to be uh, updated in the worst way. So hopefully this summer we'll get to that too. Coming summer 2019. Thank you very much, Ron, for taking some time to talk to us here again at the Hudson Valley Comic Con 2019. We wish you uh, a lot of luck in the future, and thank you for all you've done for us in the Marvel Universe. Happy to do Happy it, guys. And that is another big thanks to Ron Mars for being on the show. And that's going to pretty much wrap things up for today. Um, today you heard a lot of cool stuff. You heard me already talk to a lot of famous, interesting, enticing people about comics, the world around it, and the world within it. Um, and I think it was just another great episode. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for listening to me. Um, and, and again, keep listening. We got more content coming. We're going to have another episode coming out in the next couple of days. So keep your uh, faces peeled, your ears in tune, and your eyes and minds ready for more action. So thank you for coming in. This is The Marvelist. This is John Sherburn signing off. For Peter Melnick, I'm not Peter Melnick. For Eddie Wilson, I'm not Eddie Wilson. And for John Sherburn, I'm John Sherburn. Have a nice night.